and just like meeting all these people, being in these rooms that I just dreamed about. Um, this wasn't at the root, but like when I was with Shadow and Act, I got to interview Oprah. Like I got to interview Oprah at her house. Like that's mm. insane. <laughs> that's insane. At the house? <laughs> at her house. I at met the, Oprah at her crib. At the like, crib. We have the crib with it. Okay. Wow. I was like, and you know, uh, just like every, every other black uh, child grew up watching open with their parents, like her grandparents. From Harold Washington to Harold's Chicken and everything in between and beyond, sociology is the exploration of Chicago culture, history, legends, stories, and fiction through a myriad of discussions with Chicagoans themselves. Her name is a Tanya, it's Tanja. Embrace the J, the J is loud. Tanja Renee Stidham. And on this episode of Sociology, she's going to tell us about how she took a leap of faith by moving from the south side of Chicago all the way to L.A. to pursue her dreams in the media, which took her through journalism, copywriting and screenwriting. So in this episode, I hope you're inspired as a creative or as just anybody who wants to take a dream and a leap of faith to follow what you really desire in life and not settle for the mundane. Let's get right into it. You, you got a lot of things that you are into, that you have done. Mm -hmm. Um we just going to start in the beginning. This sociology, we're going to start in the beginning. You know, you are from Chicago. Okay. Tell us tell us where mm -hmm. you grew up at, you know, your background and all that here in the city. We can start there. Okay, yeah. So I am, so it's twofold, right? Because I'm Black, so I was raised by my grandmother because I was in a single, you know, single yeah, mother. You know how it go. You know, you know how it go. go. So I got, I got to do both of them, right? Yeah. So yeah, South Side of Chicago all the way. Um, I represent 66 and Kenwood, the Woodline area. And then I also represent the Wild Hunnets because my mama lives in Beverly Market Park area. So both of them is my home. That's my home. That's where I represent. So Southside all the way. Southside. You went to, uh, you went to Morgan Park? I sure did. The Mighty Mighty Mustangs. <laughs> yep. What year you came out of Morgan Park? Uh, I graduated uh, 2002. 2002. Okay. Yep. okay. So you was, you was out of high school when I was coming in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I ain't trying to make you feel I'm old. OG. Yeah, yeah, I ain't trying to make you feel old, but you know, right? I was like, damn, old too. Yeah. Eighth grader, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Morgan Park, you know, I know a lot of people. I'm not a CPS graduate, or, mm -hmm. you know, I never even attended CPS, but the fact that it's like so many of these CPS schools where, like, I just know so many people is ridiculous. Like, I know so yes. many Morgan Park alumni, you know, went to college with them, met them, you know, just through life know so many Simeon cats no know so many people Kenwood you know all that it's just crazy yes. um but yeah you Morgan Park folks man y'all y'all sit together like y'all oh we sure do yeah. yeah unfortunately I wasn't able to go to my uh reunion we had our you know high school reunion um and I wasn't able to go but like it was like they was they had like so much fun so much fun I was so jealous I was getting all this FOMO but yeah, I love it. I love how you start. That's how you know this is a Chicago podcast. We asked what high school you went to. Like, yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's such a big city. It's such a exactly. You know, it's small too at the same time. It's like a small world, small city. It's like yeah. you know, you know somebody that went to Dunbar, and you know they're like, oh my yep. cousin went to Morgan Park, and they stay. Right. On, they probably stay on like you know sixty fourth and you know Kenwood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's such a small. Yeah, my dad world. went to Dunbar. See, look at that. See. That's what I'm saying. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's such a small <laughs> city, small world, man. So yeah, you know, wild hunters, you know, we got Woodlawn in the building, you know. Um, so yes. you went to Morgan Park, then what what does your journey take you after you graduated high school? 
so after high school, I went to NIU, Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, mm. um, Huskies. Um, yes. Uh, so I studied um, communications, media studies with the emphasis on film studies because mm-hmm. I wanted to be, you know, a writer, a screenwriter. Like that's what mm-hmm. I wanted to be. I wanted to be in film. I always loved film. So um, I did that program there. And then, you know, when I graduated that, um, you know, I wanted to move out of my mama's house. So I'm like, okay, let me get a job. Because the first, when I first graduated, I did like nonprofit theater at the Beverly Arts Center. It's still there actually on the like yeah. 111th. Yeah. And Western, right? So, uh, 111 yep, Western, yep. yeah. On Western, <laughs> yep, on Western, yeah. So like, um, I uh, did like um, stage managing, director's assistant, producer's assistant, all that stuff in the theater, the nonprofit world, it was great. But you know, the money wasn't enough for me to have my own apartment or nothing. Yeah. So like, you know, once I left there, um, I ended up getting a job through my sister. She referred me to like a law firm job. Like it was like administrative work or whatever. Okay. So I did that for like, probably like eight years. And then I was like, you know what? This is not fulfilling me uh, cre- uh, creatively at all. So I quit that job and moved to LA in 2015. And I've been so here yes. seven years. So yeah, so let, let's let's park it there real quick. Yeah. So, um, so we we jumped from 2006, seven. Is that when you came out of Northern? Oh, the northern, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So we went from 2006 to 2015. Yeah. Within that gap, you know, you said you uh dabbled in theater, you know, because yeah. obviously your dream was to be a screenwriter. Right. So let's back up real quick right yeah. there, parenthetically. At what point did you have the seed that you knew this is what you wanted to do? Like, where did that even come mm-hmm. from, that desire? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And before you, know you answer, like- let me just... Before you ask, yeah. let me give you an example, like, because, like, we share the same interests and dreams, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, which is another reason why I really want to join this podcast as well, not just because of Chicago, but because I grew up wanting to be a director, a film mm-hmm. filmmaker, writer, all of that myself. And, yeah. you know, I had dreams of being the first Black person to win Best Director at the Oscar and all. Yes. And, you know, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Doing your speech in the, the mirror and shit. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, I had actually wrote, written, one that, written a speech down. Yeah. I probably got it somewhere. So, like, right. you know, so, like, that 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 seed came from, and I'm just be real, the fact that I'm an only child, mm. and all I had to do with my uh, free time was watch movies. You know mm-hmm, what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, so I'm mm-hmm. watching movies, the same movies over and over. I'm like, man, what if you would have did it this way? What if they would have did it this way? Like, I'm switching mm-hmm. up plots to, you know, Boomerang. I'm switching up plots to Mo Money, yeah. you know, which was filmed in Chicago, all that. So that's what my seed came from to go I into the media it. industry. So obviously, you're not an only child. So that's why I'm curious, where did your seed come from? Now, that's funny um, that you say that. Because, like, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not an only child, but I can relate so much. You know why? Because my biggest sister is 14 years older than me. My older oh. sister, my older sister is 14 years older than me. So it's kind of like being an older child. She was an only child. She was already a teenager when I was born. Mm-hmm. So like, that's why I got it from. Like, I got my imagination from watching movies, from watching TV shows, all that. And like, um, pretty much all of my fun came from watching that or either like playing with my Barbie dolls, like and making, literally I was making movies with them. I was like, I didn't have Barbie dolls just to do their hair. I was like making storylines and everything, yeah. but I didn't know what that was, right? I didn't have a term for it at the time. Like, oh, I'm writing. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize till I grew up and had that perspective and that hindsight. Like, oh shit, I was like directing films without the camera. You know, I didn't have, we didn't have money for a home video camera, but like, I was yeah. like making it like in my head. Um, and I didn't realize that to then. So I, yeah, since I was a kid, 
And like just seeing movies, uh, I tell people that uh, the movie for me that made me like, oh shit, I want to do this is actually E.T. Because mm. that was like the first movie that made me cry. I cried at the end, like when he left. And Man. it's like, it, it makes so much movie. sense. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes so much sense with like, especially with my like my um issues, my family issues with abandonment because my father mm. died when I was a kid. Mm. So it was like, it makes so much sense why that resonated with me so much. But like, I was like, oh my God, I want to do this. But I didn't know that was a real job until high school, probably. Yeah. So okay, that's that's um that's very that's very uh it that resonates a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The fact that you know even subconsciously the things we go through we find comfort in movies from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so like you say, your abandonment issues is why you connected so much with a movie like E.T. You know. Yeah. You know some uh a being that was alone. You know right. in a in a foreign world. So like even yeah. though you're not an alien, you know, but right. was living in a world where you felt alone because you know your father wasn't there probably. You know, and you know your your friends probably had dads. You know things like that. Um, yep. So, all that. So that that's where the seed was planted, and then it began to grow and grow. So now you're working at this law firm, and I'm not mm -hmm. a lawyer, but I know a lot of lawyers, and they all say that you know it'd be stressing them the hell out and <laughs> frustrated and all of that. Um, so I can only imagine how it was working at a law firm and how mundane that could have been for such a creative spirit like you. So that creative mm -hmm. seed was like trying to burst through, and you just oh, said yeah. one day in 2015, you just leaving here, you going to LA. That's how that happened. That. Legit, mm -hmm. like uh, my friend, um, uh, may she rest in peace because she passed in 2019, but uh, she had moved to uh, LA like probably like a year prior and she was inspiring me and she, you know, I was like, oh shit, she's going to LA, I want to go too. Literally just on this random Tuesday, not really random, it, it was divine order for real, but like she, it was a sale, it was an airline sale and she was like, oh shit, Virgin Airlines having, <laughs> and they don't even exist no more, but Virgin Airlines having a sale right now yeah. Um, and I was like, I saw it, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna buy a one-way ticket, and I did mm. So yeah, I just had this feeling, like a gut feeling so you bought, so you bought a one-way ticket to LA from Chicago, and then what like that's, like we talked about taking a leap of faith <laughs> I took a leap of faith in my own journey my goodness, but I don't know if I would have had the guts or the balls <laughs> to do something like that, like so you bought a one-way ticket to LA and just you yeah. was out there. Yeah, exactly. And and I picked a specific day. Like so I mentioned that my dad died um, when I was 12 years old, he died. And so I picked his birthday to uh -huh. move. September 27th, uh, 2015 is the day that I flew from Chicago to LA. And yeah, I was scared of shit. Like I tell people that all the time. Like bravery isn't the like the absence of fear. It's being scared of shit and doing it anyway. And so that was like the the thing that I took with me. I'm like, I was so scared. I didn't have a job at the time, but all these things aligned once I made that move. Like I got a job, like probably like maybe a month or maybe a few weeks before I landed. I got an apartment because I had a village in LA, like literally going, like one of my friends, Stephanie, she went to see apartments for me. and was like FaceTiming me okay. or whatever, taking video and showing okay. me the place and sending it to me. Like all these things aligned. I did a GoFundMe to raise money. All, all my community online and you know the people that I knew my friends my family all of them donated to this GoFundMe to help me move like all this stuff online because I made this choice and then I was transparent about it like I told everybody about it and actually you know asked for help and asked for help with resources and community and stuff like that it all it all came together that's beautiful man the fact that yeah. you had that community to support you so it's like yeah. this was a strategic one-way flight you know what I'm saying? So you were yeah. very, very strategic with it um, yeah. before you bought this flight, you know, so you already had, and you know, the fact that you had a friend that's willing to 
FaceTime you, you know, right? Like most people ain't got friends that wouldn't do that. That's a friend. Exactly. That's a, that's a friend. Like, the, like going to, uh, and, and like what's funny is like my first uh, apartment in LA is in Koreatown. If you know about Koreatown in LA, it's hard to park. Like street parking is crazy. It's like mm. ridiculous. It's very, very crowded. And then they do a lot of street cleaning. So people get ticketed and told and all that stuff. Right. So like, you know, park street parking is like a no man's land. It's like, okay, you got to get it where you can. Right. Like how in Chicago when it's snowing, it's like, you better get your damn parking space. So it's like that in Koreatown. Right. Um, just in general, because it's so, it's so little parking spaces. So like that fact that she had to like do all that and like to go and find this place. And, and she lived like out, like probably like an hour or so away from Koreatown and she's driving all the way to do it. I'm like forever grateful for her. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. That's a friend. That's friendship for real. Um, yeah. That's friendship for real. So, you know, you, you get to LA now, you got your apartment, you know, um, what's the first step now in pursuing this media uh, career? Like, you know, I know your background, but I'm just getting you to walk us through for the listeners, yeah. and viewers, you know, of like the mindset of, you know, it got to be scary. You know, you're in a new city, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, exactly. it got to be scary, but you're in a city where they say you have to be for this industry. Exactly. So exactly. How do you cut through that oversaturated market? You know, what was the first step? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great question. Um, Cause yeah, it was scary. Cause like I had a few friends here, but I had no family here. You know, I'm like what, 2000 plus miles away from Chicago where my family is, most of my family is. So yeah, it was really scary. So what I did, so the job that I got, it was another law firm job. Hmm. And so I got that, you know, just to get stable on my feet, you know, LA rent is not, not cheap whatsoever. <laughs> and so like, that was like a pretty stable job. And then I was there for one year until I got that itch again. I was like, you know what? No, I'm not going to be stuck here. Because I felt that at the previous law firm in Chicago, I was like, I'm going to be stuck here. Like, it's a stable job. And, you know, a lot of people would be grateful for it. But I'm like, this is not what I want to do. So I'm going to feel stuck. I felt like like I was in prison. Like, it was like, I felt like I can't, I couldn't get out. So it was like, um, I got that itch again. And I ended up taking another leap of faith. I call it a fling of faith. Like I actually flung myself <laughs> out of it uh, because yeah, my move to LA was a leap. And like, um, I had gotten my first major byline and I got it in Ebony Magazine. I wrote about Viola Davis. Okay. Uh, it was like an op-ed. Um, and um, after that, I was like, it gave me, you know, uh, I had a feeling, right? A gut feeling. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna quit this job. I gave my notice to them. And I started freelancing for a full time and leaped right into the into the world of uh, journalism and digital mm -hmm. journalism at that. Mm -hmm. Man, you know, so it's just, you know, you're taking a lot of a lot of leaps right now. You know? <laughs> yeah. Jumped off the, the cliff, then you landed, and then you jumped off the stairwell, you know. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, but that's that's so the first byline you had was Viola Davis, you know, mm -hmm. which is which is huge, you know. Yeah. It's huge. Brand name. Viola Davis, yes. you know, so mm -hmm. do you think that's what kind of like got you some traction, you know, in the freelance oh, world yeah. and you was able to get more, more gigs from there? Absolutely. I think that's when I was starting to be taken seriously, like in that world, right? Because I was always a writer. I was always a blogger. Like, so I was in the digital space um, and shout out to the community on Very Smart Brothers. Like that was like my first like blogging space where I was able to like publish my stuff. And then that relationship with, with those two founders led to me working at The Root. And of course, that's like where my entertainment journalism career really blew up. But mm -hmm. yeah, the Ebony Magazine thing and getting those bylines and doing um, freelance work for a year was like me pretty much getting all my clips. Uh, and clips are like basically like writing, you know, sampled articles 
um, are, you know, and that's what really get me, you know, going in this field and being taken seriously as a professional, you know, journalist, a professional digital writer. Um, and it was like, it wasn't easy. Like that fling of faith, I really fell on my face a lot too. Like mm. I always want to be transparent about that, about like the falls too, right? Because like it was the most, the most hard thing in my life financially. Like I, I was the worst financially that I ever was when I was freelancing full time because it's a lot of challenges, right? It's like you doing your work and you hustling, but you may not get paid on time, unfortunately. Like a lot of publications are really bad about that, about paying you on time. And That's so you waiting for your, you know, you waiting for your money, but the thing I already published and they getting their money from it. Like they getting, you know, the advertising dollars and all that shit from it, but you're chasing them trying to get your, That's your crazy. paycheck. That's, it's it's like so, nothing changes. It's like nothing changes. Nothing, like you, you, deal yeah. with, you know, you deal with clients on a, on a uh, person to person level, you know, the very yes. micro budget level. But then yes. you start working for big brands and it's like, you still dealing with the same thing. Still same shit. And they're like, they come with that mentality like, oh yeah, you should be lucky to write, be right for us. I'm like, no, this is a job. Like, I'm grateful that I have this major byline, but I did work and I should be paid for it. It's an even exchange. You know, it's like a simple exchange, right? Wow. And so like that like pissed me off and I, I learned the hard way how that worked because, you know, your bills ain't waiting for it, you know? <laughs> like, they, they surely are there. And so that was a lot. And, you know, my credit score suffered for it, like all that. Like, I'm still recovering from that. And I'm like, really, you know, financially stable at this point. Like, but I'm still recovering from that downfall that I had. Yeah. In yeah. the, you know, the freelance world. And how long was you freelancing for? Just one year. Full time. That's okay, when, yeah, then I got the uh, the job okay. at the root. That's when okay, I got my okay, first yeah, full time yeah, job in writing. That's yeah. crazy, though. Like, that's crazy. Oh, that my God. It really changes. Like, and people were on the outside looking in would think, oh, man, you set. You know, you, you exactly. got, you know, but. Exactly. That's why out. I want to be transparent about it. I'm like, it's it's not just all roses, right? And you know, a lot of people come to LA with rose colored glasses. It's like, oh shit, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But you know, it's a struggle. It's ups and downs, it's a roller coaster. And you know, all of it is for a reason, all of it, you know, build your character and all that shit. But I'm like, I wanna be honest about it, right? Yeah. It's like it's not just about the highs, it's about the lows too, especially in social media, because social media can be like a highlight reel, right? Everybody mm -hmm. winning and they just posting all the shit that they're winning. Mm -hmm. But we're human, you know, everything, it's not all wins. Yeah. It's like it's the losses too. That's part of your story too. I don't I don't like discredit that as part yeah. of my story. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm glad you persevered through that uh year. Um, yeah, thank so, you. so then you got the uh working at the root. Tell us so I got a two-fold question real quick. Tell mm -hmm. us how it was working at the root, but mm -hmm. then I'm gonna transition into other challenges as a journalist, um, a black mm -hmm. journalist. Oh, uh, not yeah. just in LA, but <laughs> yeah. You know, in the entertainment industry, period, you know, oh, um, yeah. some more of the struggles about being a digital black journalist in this day and age outside of the financial aspect that we just touched on. Mm. But first, mm. tell us about your work experience at The Root, though. Yeah. So, like, that was my first full time job as a writer. Right. So it was a big deal for me. And then it was in an industry that I loved. Like, I got to be an entertainment writer. Like, I got to work in the beat that was my industry. Right. This is what I love. Um, Cause like before when I was doing freelancing, I was doing like, you know, general news stories and stuff like that. But this, I was able to be, yeah, exactly. I was able to be like in my, in my bag. basically. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that, oh my God, the journey with the root was like, it shaped me as a writer um, in the most like challenging, but also fruitful way ever. Right. Like I got probably my, probably the most opportunities I've ever gotten because I wrote, I wrote at the root because I was able to 
because the root is known for um editorializing as well right they report news they report the facts but you can put your you can sprinkle your personality into it too like why you report the news it's not like a strict like washington post or like huffington post kind of like legacy publication it's like you know it's more editorializing so it's like the root is known for their writers right the writers have specific personalities and so i was able to convey my personality as well and then like i just met so many people like my network grew like 500 percent like whether it's celebrities, whether it's their publishers, whether it's studios, whether it's all like my network had, had grown like so much, like working at the root and just like meeting all these people, being in these rooms that I just dreamed about. Um, this wasn't at the root, but like when I was with Shadow and Act, I got to interview Oprah. Like I got to interview Oprah at her house. Like that's mm. insane. <laughs> that's insane. At the house? <laughs> at her house. I at met the... Oprah at her crib. At the like, crib. The crib, we have the crib with it okay wow. i was like and you know uh just like every every other black uh child grew up watching open with their parents like or grandparents like so it's it, it was insane and of course the first person i thought was my mama right of course <laughs> gotta tell mom back right in you gotta tell mom that you know i'm interviewing the one of the biggest things out of chicago right now in her house. right <laughs> exactly so like and, and she still to this day be showing that picture around the uh, cashiers in the grocery store because you know <laughs> black mamas Hey, she gonna yeah, have that like, picture forever. She gonna have that picture forever. 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 So like interviewing people like her, her statue and all these celebrities, all these celebrities that I look up to and were fans of and being like in close proximity to them and them knowing me, knowing who I am, knowing my name and remembering me on the red carpet and blah, blah, mm. blah. Um, All that was just like, you know, just priceless. I, I just, I wouldn't, you know, I don't regret any of it. Any, even if there were obviously challenges of it because the journalism space is very exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. It, it is. It's like long, long days. Um, when I um, was working at The Root, uh, The Root is based in New York. So I was in LA and I had to work on New York time. So I was up yeah, at 4.30 yeah. in the morning, like working. Like I had, a, at least I got to get off early, but that didn't even last because it, since I was an entertainment journalist and I live in LA, I had to cover events. So like not only am I like working my shift in the morning, I gotta then take a quick nap to you know re-energize and then go to an event later that night. Like yeah, it may be fun awesome. events, like right? It, it may be like fun awesome. events and like socializing with you know cool people, but it's work. It's still work. <laughs> like yeah. you know, like they say, like uh, what James Baldwin was saying, like I don't dream dream job. I don't dream of labor. Like right, like, right, 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 right. It's still a job. It's still work. Like even though you're like enjoying your work and it's your dream. Um, it still works. So. Still work, and so like we can transition to the second part of my question is like the mm -hmm. other challenges of being a um, not just a journalist but a black journalist. And, Ooh, the tea. Um, and we could probably go right, right, and we could probably go deeper, and you could even touch on the fact that you're a black woman journalist. You know, oh yeah, like oh, yeah. outside of the financial woes that you talked about, outside of the exhausting um aspect of it being physical. You know, mm -hmm. what are some other woes of being a black journalist and the entertainment industry number one i gotta talk about the gatekeeping the gatekeeping in the industry um against black publications like specifically mm. right so like uh getting the opportunities that i did get i had to fight for them unfortunately right like they opportunities that will come easily to like a people magazine or e-entertainment access hollywood and shit like that mainstream white uh publications things that come easy to them we had to fight for. And so I'll give you an example on the red carpet. 
and this has gotten like um, viral in the last few years. Thank goodness that people are talking about it. Um, but on the red carpet, what they would do was put us all the way at the end of the red carpet, all the black publications. So that could be your Essences, your Ebony's, The Root, The Griot, all of them were put at the end of the carpet. And you know, that's like terrible real estate, right? Terrible. Because by the time the, the uh, celebrities are all the way at the end of the carpet, they got to go in. And, you know, it, especially if it's a live show. Like, if it's a live show, they have to go inside. Like, it's no, like, oh, I'm just staying a little, you know, a little while later. Like, no, their publicists are pulling them to go sit down, right? Um, so they could be at the event. And then not only that, it's like having to deal with the fact that this even happens even with your own, right? So you're talking to Black talent, but they may possibly have white publicists. And they don't get the importance of a Black publication and us what telling our care? own stories. And what they don't care. care. Yeah. Right. Because I'm like and I was a proponent. Of, I was one of the people who was a proponent and outspoken about this. I'm like, y'all, the black talent, it's y'all. It's y'all responsibility. You can't just be like, oh, it's just my publicist saying it. It's like, no, you're the boss. Like it, they work for you. Like you're their client. Like even though they may boss you around and tell you where to go and stuff, that's their job. But at the end of the day, <laughs> you can fire them. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like and, and not only that, you're the face. You're the face. You're the you're the person that everybody knows. So you saying this and you like speaking out about black, black publications and protecting them and giving them um, opportunities make is a huge deal. And it was a video that went viral when Halle Berry did that. Like her publicist was like pulling her away. Like okay, like they just like treated a, a whoever the uh, publication was like as if they weren't like important. And and Halle Berry's like no 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 I'm going to talk to them. And that's all they have to do. You know, they, they could just tell them no. Like, I'm going to talk to them. It's only like two minutes, if that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's like, that's that's really important. So, like, navigating that gatekeeping um, and, you know, speaking with publicists, speaking with studios and networks about that. I've had so many talks about it with them, like, internally about how important it is for us to have more opportunities, you know, and not be thought as, like, the afterthought, right, um, of that. Because especially with our people, and that's what I was dealing with, with the root, obviously, because we mainly cover black people. Right. Right. And so, like, I was dealing with that and it hurt even more because it was with my own people. Mm. Um, but they weren't the ones, you know, telling me, you know, or telling or directing these things. It was like white people telling me because they hired them. They hired white publicists. They hire white uh, fashion designers. They hire all these things. They think it's better when it's not. That's why I, I respect teams that have black publicists like Issa Rae. She has a black publicist. And I uh, have had a relationship with this publicist for a, the longest time when Issa Rae was just coming up. Mm. Like I had a relationship with her and she's been her publicist since she's blew up. She didn't fire her for a more renowned publicist. This black publicist has her own PR firm and she's black. And now she got Issa Rae. She got fucking uh, Marseille Martin. Like she, mm. she whole roster of A-list clients oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that, can. you know, from her own firm and it's her firm. And that's mm. what I love to see. Man, man. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Um it's just crazy that, you know, no matter how much things change, things stay the same. You know, we always in the back. No matter what, we always gonna be put in the back. We always yeah. get the short end of the stick. We always gotta fight for this and fight for that. You know, you can't tell me that that's a coincidence. It's intentional that they put it on like on uh publications at the end of the red carpet that's intentional like that's literally yes. intentional they put the big ones here they put the independents here and then they yep. put the blacks here you know it's, yep. 
all the time. And it didn't matter like which one, right? Like it's like, it's not even that they can like argue that like, oh, your numbers, oh, no, no, no. The Root ha was the, the, the number one motherfucking black site ever. We weren't competing with other black sites. We were competing with those mainstream sites as far as the numbers, as far as like the traffic that we got um, on our site. Like, and so like either, or either like an Essence or Ebony, just it's the same thing. It's like, they're like major pub legacy publications that all these uh, black talent grew up reading was on their coffee table at their mama's house, at their parents' Ebony. house. Ebony started by a Chicagoan. Thank you. It's been Come around on. for decades and you still putting them at the back of the bus. Still putting them at the back. And like, the, again, the talent has to be the one to be like, no, they are important. Like, they're, they're a legacy brand. Like, they are the reason why a lot of black talent had even a platform, even had cover stories. Like when those mainstream publications, those white publications wouldn't even give them a chance. It was Ebony and Essence that were putting them on cover stories. Mm -hmm. Like, so it's like, don't like then get to another uh, level of status and get to that A-list club and forget. Like you can't forget because it's like those publications were writing about you when nobody knew what your name was in like in mainstream media. Yeah. And I love the fact that you advocated and put emphasis on the fact that the celebrities can change it though. Like, you know, the celebrities... Yeah. They can't necessarily change where they put them on the carpet, but they could change the exposure and the time and the given, you know. So I love the fact that you hinted on that. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 deep. That's wild. Um in two thousand It is. And like another thing that I, Yeah, exactly. Like one more thing that I always um fought for was um was getting exclusive, right? Like so like it's obviously a major thing for your publication to get an exclusive, especially in the entertainment industry. And when you think of exclusives, obviously you think of the, the major trades, like a deadline, a Hollywood reporter, a variety. And so like I would fight for um, trying to get an exclusive at the root. Like why can't the root get something um, that's like breaking news, right? Um, and so that started to happen within like the past couple of years, like uh, publications such as, such as the root and Shadow and Neck started getting exclusives about like news that centered black, you know, talent or black projects. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, for an example, I got my biggest biggest exclusive working with a black publicist who got us this exclusive to um, to announce a project that Oprah and Lionsgate was um, uh, promoting for Nicole Hannah-Jones, like her 1617 project um, that she did uh, with the New York yeah. Times. Like they, they secured a deal with Lionsgate. So now that she has a movie deal, a TV deal with Lionsgate. And I broke that news on the route. Like mm -hmm. that was a huge deal because that would usually be, I did it before the trades. And that's, and that's like a huge deal. And so then they have to like cite us, you know, for like, oh, according to the root, this happened. According to Shadow and Act, yeah, you know, this yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's huge for a publication. And it's notable, but respected in the industry as a reputable publication because we are. We be in these streets like too, just like them. I be next to, you know, a variety or journalists, you know, whatever or what have you. And I know them. I, I know their names. I'm like next to them on red carpets. I network with them all the time. So I might think same events that they are covering stuff. Um, so I think it's like very important again for us to have that that platform because we're you know we're worth it, absolutely worth it, and we're yeah. extra worth it because we can tell it from a black perspective. Like yeah. we understand them, exactly. like these mainstream publications don't. They don't, and they don't care. Um, they don't care, and they don't care. Yeah, man. So yeah, that that sounds it sounds like a lot of grit that goes into a lot yeah. like you know i know it, it sounds like you're giving us the simplified summarized version of it but you was in the trenches yeah. dealing with i was daily you I, know? Was. So I could only imagine how taxing that was on your mental your emotions you know it was it <laughs> absolutely was 
Yeah. And then you're like, and then and when you're doing this and you're being outspoken about our rights and like our worth, it's hard because your fear of getting blacklisted, right? This industry, you know, sorry to say, is about blacklisting and they still do it to this day. And so you speak out against the wrong person, you there's a chance that you can get blacklisted in the industry. And that's scary for a journalist who's also trying to work in the very industry that they're covering. Yeah. Right. And so like I've seen it happen. It has happened to a lot of people. A lot of, you know, publicists or network publicists will try to bully the journalists into not like covering a negative review of things. Um, I've had those conversations with various of them. I'm not gonna name names, but you know, mm -hmm. it happens in major um studios. And you have to have these like really tough conversations, like it's ridiculous. I'm like, okay, you gotta allow black publications to be able to critique you know, films and TV as well, right? We can't just be all glowing reviews because that's that's condescending to me. That's like patronizing. Mm -hmm. It's like black people can still like have successful projects without you babying them. You know, you can still, it, the critique comes from love. Like if it's a black critic, nine times out of 10, it comes from a place of love and we want things to be better. You know, we want our people to improve, you know? And so like all these white critics who are like, infamously like trash like a Roger Ebert he's a fucking legend but he was notoriously mean to all of the movies that he did not like he would not fucking mince words yeah. but he's still considered a legend you ain't gonna see him blacklisted from no damn movie facts facts like, no, no movie. was going in he was going in like going in I'm gonna read some of his stuff I'm like damn like right exactly you take like it personally like like goddamn yeah he and it's was like yeah. You know, still like the 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 A list talent was still going his damn show though because he was like the top fucking critic, like he was the most well known critic in the U S. Like it's like, you know, so it's like they don't do that to them, um, but to us we have to be like all like kissing ass and stuff, and it's mm. not it's not cool. So, how long was you at the root? Um, so from uh twenty eighteen to twenty twenty one, so about what three three years. Um, at what point did you, was you at, did you go to Netflix after that? Yes. Okay. So like when I, um, when I, uh, left the route, I got a job, a full-time job at Tonal, the digital gym, um, gym system as a script writer. And so like, that was the first full-time job that I got to write scripts, you know, for a full time. But then also in the interim, while I was kind of transitioning out of the route, because I was trying to leave the route because, it was a lot of reasons. It was like because of change of management and also, uh -huh. you know, pay as well. Like I wasn't able to get the promotion that I believe I deserve. And so um, I um, I was in contact with Netflix because at the root, I would do this series for their strong black lead arm, which is like their black content, right? Like every black uh, project or, you know, TV show that comes out on the on Netflix, they have this editorial arm called Strong Black Lead. It's basically their marketing department for their black uh, projects. And so I had been in contact with, uh, at the time, he was like the head or the, the executive of the Strong Black Lead, the marketing you know, department. Um, he had loved my content, like what I was writing about The Root, because we had this series again, where we talked about like, oh, this thing is coming out this month. Here are all the black, the black shit coming out in November, you know, 2021 or whatever. Um, he loved it because again I sprinkled my personality into it I sprinkled my humor into it uh my headlines were fire like all those things and so I kept the contact with him and so like as I was trying to leave the route I was like hey you know I, I dm'd him I was like um I'm actually trying to transition out of the route um can you let me know if you know if Netflix has any you know opportunities that I can you know um 
Netflix editorial has any opportunities because I know they were building their editorial site, basically like their own internal site to write about their own projects. So he was like, yeah, he gave me a referral. And uh, then I like had a little back and forth with that team and they pretty much like put me on ice for a little bit uh, because they were still like launching it. And so they were like, we'll reach out to you when it's time or whatever. And then they reached out to me for like a, a contract um, uh, position for like about three months. Okay. Um, writing editorial content um, for their site, like for their site to Doom, which is their like editorial site for like their the the projects that they produce. Mm -hmm. um, so like um, I wrote for Ada Twist Scientist, which is really fun because I love kids content. That's like one of my origins um, because I was a Disney kid, mm -hmm. um, and so I love like animated content. So yeah, I got to write. You know, I got now I got bylines on Netflix website. That's great. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so. You know, because I noticed your, your resume, let me just say to the people <laughs> listening and watching, your resume is long, you know. Uh, <laughs> I have a very long resume, and I'm just trying to pick my points of where I want to touch. You know, <laughs> yeah. If I, if I touch on all of them, we ain't going to be able to, you know, fit it all into nope. this, <laughs> this episode. So, um, so yeah, so but that's pretty dope, though, you know, um, that you had that stint with Netflix, and then you say you was yeah. a script writer for Tonal. So that's mm -hmm. that means you was writing, like, the stuff that's said during the workouts. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I literally wrote, yeah, the scripts for, like, what they said. Like, so basically their their um, their um uh, formula or uh, was, like, that they, you know, had an intro and outro, right? So they had an intro, what they say, you know, they introduce themselves, they tell you what the workout is going to entail, and then the outro, which, you know, wraps it up or whatever. But then they also talked throughout the workout. So what the script writers did is we spoke with the coaches, and we got to know the coaches, and we learned their voice. So it was kind of like, you know, learning the character's voice. Like I treated them like characters, mm -hmm. right? They're real people, but I treated them like characters because I had to write in different voices because all of them are different. So like we would uh, sit down and speak with the coaches and learn about them, what motivates them, what they love to get out of uh, teaching a workout and coaching other people in workouts. And so basically what we did as script writers was we decided on a theme of that workout. So it was a theme connected to, you know, the workout, um, but it could be an overarching thing, like a inspirational theme or yeah. a theme about you know a personal thing that they did in their past like one of the um one of the coaches that I uh worked with was a former Super Bowl champion like he were, um, worked with the um uh, the Baltimore Ravens like so um we talked about his you know pretty much locker room talk like his workout how he worked out and locked you know and uh, working as a football player you know into the workout um at Sonal so like that was really fun because like it was like a world that surprised me, right? First of all, I didn't know they, the fitness world had script writers, <laughs> like the digital fitness world. I didn't know that was a thing. What's funny is I always tell my friends, like when I saw the job on LinkedIn, because that's how I saw it and I applied for it, um, I thought I thought they said title. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> like, this is title. Like you showed up the job, like, I was not expecting this. Like, where am I? Right. Yeah. So I like looked into it and researched and when the recruiter reached out to me and I was like, oh shit, this this is a different thing. And like they actually film and the writers are on set, like filming, which I love because I love to be on set. It's like my happy place. So we're like on set and like working with the um it's kind of like being a TV writer, like because the TV writer gets to be on set. So like we work with them, and then also it was so unprecedented because we had a writer's room. Like we we actually like approached this like a TV show. Like we had a writer's room, we all pitched stuff. Uh, we all had different, you know, projects or whatever, but we pitched just like a TV writer's room. It was great. That's beautiful, man. Um, yeah. yeah, that's why you thought it was title. Uh, you know, 
Um, so yeah, it sounds like so I run a lot and um on the mm. Nike app I listen to these guided runs. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's what it sounds like that you're describing. Like, yeah. Because because I'm sure that I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I know that the stuff that they're saying on these guided runs are scripted. So they Definitely. have to have someone that's writing those. So oh, it yeah. seems like you were the one writing the workouts for Tony. Like okay, Definitely. now I know you feel tired, but you just have to push through. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that. All that stuff is like yeah, it's scripted. Like even Peloton, right? Like I don't think they have writers. Well, I think now they contract writers. But before, when Peloton was like really popped off and became viral, they had producers who's actually scripting their workouts. Like I learned that as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, and then learning that. And yeah, because I think like, yeah, the Nike app and like Apple, uh, the, like Apple Plus, I think, or the sports, you know, their fit, Apple's Fitness, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Like when, um, unfortunately, when I got laid off at Tonal, I was like a- applying for jobs, like in the fitness space, those jobs was coming up for me. And I was like, oh, okay. All these other, like their competitors also have like writers as well. Mm. Yeah, man, that's dope. So, yeah, so you said, unfortunately, you were laid off at Tunnel. Yeah. Um, um, you was a- Tech space. Oh, yeah. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. where did you, where did you move on to after that? Yeah, so now um, I'm um, a senior copywriter at XX Artist. And um, they're an agency, like a social media marketing agency. And they write pretty much the copy for their clients' social media. Like, so they're for their Twitters, their Instagrams, their TikToks like all those things. I literally write the tweets. I literally write the copy, the captions for the client. So we, our biggest client is Google and YouTube. And so I work with them a lot. And what's funny, a full circle moment, uh, one of our clients is Tidal. Wow. <laughs> so like we're building out their social uh, presence now. So, so like connected a somehow. From <laughs> yeah, it was still connected to them. Yeah. So them, um, NBC Universal is one of our clients. So we're going to be working on the People's Choice Awards. And we have already been working with them with their nominations, tweets, and stuff like that. I'm going to be going to the People's Choice Awards, representing XX artists, which is pretty cool. So that's so my words are going to collide again because, mm-hmm. like, they chose me to go because I had that experience, like, working right, on award right. shows and stuff like that. You know so, like, it lined up. Yeah. So I'm like, that's going to be an interesting thing to, like, see it from the client side, like, because I was on the press side before. But now I'm going to be with the, the actual client who's producing the, you know, the actual show. So that's going to be interesting to see that perspective. That's a perspective I didn't know I haven't um, experienced yet. So correct me if I'm wrong. Is it like is this like the same as social media management or is it you're literally uh, yeah. just writing the content? Right. So those are they're actually two separate jobs. Okay. So like, yeah, the copywriters actually just write the content but xx artists as an agency they also do have social media managers who actually manage the actual account right so we just yeah we write it internally we send it to the clients they either approve it or give us notes to come back and edit it and revise it but it goes to an actual social media manager to actually own the account yeah so so because like i just want to say this real quick because a lot of these big brands social medias be wilding like they be you know, oh yeah they, they be saying some wild stuff man they like do. you know especially like these fast food restaurants they be yes. saying some wild stuff man so I'm, i be wondering like is this a black person writing in like who is yes. doing this like sometimes it is you know what's what's funny um to go back to my journalism career you remember when popeyes was like popping off because yes. of the chicken sandwich yes. and then like their social media account was like amazing like it was like a master fucking class in like social media management so as a journalist at the time i'm like I want to see who's running this account. Like, I want to see who's running it. And then that's what's so funny. Again, another full circle moment that now I'm doing that same thing. But I interviewed 
basically the agency who Popeye's hired to do their tweets. So like now I work at an agency who does tweets and, you know, social copy for a company and so or companies. So like I interviewed and it was, it was like a black girl and like some other people of color and, who and were doing those tweets. And, and they were, it was like an agency in Austin, Texas. And like they had hired them to do their tweets. Cause like, I was thinking like, oh, like most of these companies have internal social teams and some of them do, but most of them like, they, they actually outsource. do outsource it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even if they do have like social teams, sometimes their work is just so broad and so, so big in scale, they still, you know, outsource it and contract agencies to do. Man, it was wild. And then, I, and then I also know <laughs> when, uh, when McDonald's had made the decision to do uh breakfast all day, like all those years ago, yeah. IHOP was sending <laughs> shots at them. I'm like, what is going on? Like, that's exactly it. So we come up with that stuff all the time. Like we come up with a way that like uh two companies can collaborate that makes sense. Like it, it's all we totally do all that stuff. We all like pitch stuff like an ideate all. Oh, so these be collaborations. Like sometimes it is like an actual like collaboration between companies like that are like they may be doing something together. But mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes it's also just a random like just adding them and see if they respond. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's you know, 50 -50. I'm like, what is going on? But I'm gonna tell you, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you um, who backfired, and you know, let me just say this is my podcast, oh, Miss yeah. Taylor, Sociology. These are mm -hmm. my thoughts. These are not the thoughts of Miss Stidham or the company that she uh works with. But Wingstop, y'all failed, bro. Wingstop failed, like. They, they did. They failed. Like I was reading these tweets about um oh. like. I forgot what they said. They they sent shade at somebody. Right. Um, I think I think it was Popeyes or somebody, but they sent some yep. shade. And then yep. everybody was in the comments lighting them up. Like, I know y'all ain't talking. They posting like the ratio. Oh my God. It was bad. And then you know what? And that's that's funny that you mentioned that because that's important to our, our work, right? Because a good thing about knowing what makes a good tweet is also knowing what makes a bad tweet. Yeah. So we study all that. Like when we see that shit is going bad. We look at that and we talk about it. We have meetings about it. We talk about strategy, but that's a whole nother job. Social strategy is a whole different job, right? That's like an overarching thing. So it's like, I'm really learning about like how like detailed it is, right? It's like, it's not just like putting up a tweet. It's like, it's literally months and months of planning of these tweets, um, especially if it's something big, if they're launching something big, if they're mm. prom promoting something these tweets and these uh the strategy of it and like the planning of it was done months in advance if not a year in so advance. it ain't like no oh we gonna do this next week like no they no no yeah. especially for something like big but like even just um random tweets like for the month like for youtube and google we write tweets uh a month in advance and then they do it for like the following month mm. and especially for the holidays uh we have to do it two months in advance because mm we shut down um at the end of the year like we close um got it. the last two weeks of the year so. got it got it okay okay so yeah man that's uh that's interesting though that's interesting to know because i always wondered that i'm like who is behind these damn tweets um, <laughs> yeah it's cool to see the inside of it because like i used to wonder too i was so fascinated i'm extremely online just like you like so i'm like i was like it's so fascinated how it like breaks down and i knew people i like i knew social media managers um, as well, so I kind of had like an insight, but to actually be in it and to be yeah. like working in it is different. I was like, wow, yeah. this is this is a lot. I I respect it. I respect it more now. So you um, we you know you was freelancing for a year. Mm -hmm. you, you you're knee deep in journalism now. You're doing copywriting. Um, mm -hmm. but you know we talked about that seed in the beginning, which was screenwriting. You know, yes. Although you are in the world 
of mm-hmm. um writing and you know entertainment industry you know the goal was screenwriting right yes um tell us about your aspirations with that still you know i, I know yeah. you got your own independent projects the wing chick am i, I correct? do yes, yeah, yeah. yes tell us about the wing chick you know tell us what that's about tell us about what other projects you have going on tell us about mm-hmm. is that dream still there or are you just mm. like comfortable with the pivot diving deeper mm. to the copy and the journalism side Mm-mm. No, it's, it's still there. It's definitely still there. And so like Hollywood is very uh, hurry up and wait <laughs> kind of thing, right? It's like you're waiting for a, a long time and um for things to pop off, right? And like you're always in this perpetual mode of like, oh, I'm so close yet so far, right? So for me, since I've been living here, I've been here seven years now in LA and I've had the opportunity to pitch TV shows um to places or, you know, to... Um, I pitched a TV show that I'm still trying to market, but with um, my uh, a writing partner of mine that I met while I was at the law firm in Chicago, we're trying to make a TV show okay. about our experience there. So we pitched that actually to Larry Wilmore's uh, production company. At the time, he had a, um, a deal, like a first look deal with ABC. Okay. And so we pitched it with them and they liked it. They really liked it, but the timing, it was all about timing. Um, and it didn't go forward um, and they passed on it. So we've been trying to uh, pitch that other places. With Wing Chick, yeah, I uh, raised again, crowdfunded for that, uh, which is great. Again, shout out to my community and my village. Um, uh, and I was able to produce two episodes for that. And then I did a few film festivals. I did the Southside Chicago Film Festival, which was like Ooh. the best feeling ever. I got to go back home and like scream my shit, which is amazing. So, mm-hmm. you know, my people. And um, so I did that. And then like um, I was trying to like raise more money or pitch it around to get a distribution and to get a producer. And I got like some looks like from some networks, like a CBS had an interest in it. And um, but again, it just like kind of fizzled out. Um, But right now I'm kind of still in talks about a producer and a distributor right now um, with um. I can't say who it is yet, but it's like, yeah, it's absolutely. a, it's a well-known person um, in the industry, in the comedy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been having talks in it because they think it's funny. Um, so again, it's, but it's just a wait, it's a waiting game. It's like, okay, you think you're so close. I'm like, oh, it's about to happen. And my dream's about to be realized. And then sometimes it just kind of goes in the holding period. It's like a holding pattern when you're on a plane. Like, yeah. it's just like circling, yeah. circling, yeah. circling till you land. And uh, so that, and then um, another thing, um, because my love for screenwriting first became with movie or first started with movies. So I've, I've written like so many like feature films, just like specs, right? I'm just writing for myself. But then I ended up getting hired or contracted to write, again, I can't say who it is, but a hip hop script. It's like a feature film script biopic for someone in hip hop. And that has taken like forever, like to get finished. But like once it does pop off, that would be something that would like change my life uh, pretty much because it's a real renowned person yeah. in hip hop. Yeah. And so like, yeah, so it's those things. It's kind of like I'm working on things, but it's like things that I can't announce yet. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the perpetual journey of it, right? It's like, because again, just as I said at the top of this show, it's like, it's like the social media aspect of it and everybody's like posting their highlight reels and yeah. you kind of get your feelings like, oh, I can't wait till my time. I can't wait till my turn but you can't and then it's like people don't know what you're working on or what you're doing unless you're posting on social media like okay I'm doing this thing I'm doing this thing and it's a funny spot to be in because 
I realized, especially when I uh, started working at The Root, that I was that person for other people. Like they will look at my shit and be like, oh my God, I wish I was doing that. Or, you know, I wish, you know, or I was inspiring people to do that. So it's like, you have that perspective because you're in this constant loop of like, once you like reach your certain goals or reach goals that you never even thought you had, your goals just get bigger, right? It's like a constant thing. It's like, okay, once I reach this thing, now I want to do this, you know, because my ultimate goal is I want to create my own show. I want to be an executive producer of my own show, a comedy series. And I want to make movies. I want to do that, like all that. Um, and so like, that's what I'm working towards. I'm still working towards it. And yeah, I haven't stopped. It has not fizzled yet, out yet. You know, obviously we creators, we have that up, those up and downs of like, yeah, okay, it's like, depressed <laughs> and I can't, you know, I can't create right now and I feel bad. But yeah. yeah, it's still there. It's still in the core of me. I'm happy to hear that. Um, yeah. So like my, my last three questions are all synced and, you know, tied together. Um, okay. So I'm going to start off this trifecta of questions with this. Um, if you were to teach, I don't want to say writing because that's vague, but if you were to teach a journalism slash screenwriting class, mm. how would you go about it? Like, What would be some of the lessons you would put in your syllabus based off your experiences? That's funny uh, that you asked that because actually um, I'm... I'm we we just announced it today, but me and a former co colleague of mine, Chanel, we're doing like a Twitter Spaces like workshop or webinar oh. for freelancers, like oh, for, for okay. people who want to be freelancers. Oh wow! And so we're okay. doing yeah, we're doing it on Twitter Spaces. It's actually um I don't know when this is coming out, but it's like this week later this week. Uh, um, so today's date is the uh this will be out on November twenty second. Okay, so it had already happened by then, but at least it will be recorded. You know, mm -hmm. so it will it will still exist, right, for people yes. to access. Um, so like, yeah, so like we're doing like a panel pretty much of giving lessons of how to be a freelancer effectively. Okay. Right. And, you know, teaching these lessons that is very important for freelancers to have, especially black freelancers. And we're both black, we're both black women and we want to pay it forward. We want to pay these seats forward because it's hard to navigate that industry when you don't know people. Right. And that's how Hollywood is, too. Right. You got to know the right people. And there's even a lot of gatekeeping within a black community as well. It's like, okay, once one person gets it, then they just want to keep it to themselves because they think you're a competition. I'm yeah. like, no, that's not, that's not it. We all go eat. Like we all go eat. You're like, it's kind of like the, the candle metaphor. It's like you light another candle with another candle. It doesn't burn out the other candle. It just takes some light from it. Fire begins. Both fire. of them have light. Exactly. So you know, it's kind of like that. So I'm just trying to pay it forward because like a lot of people go into freelance and they don't have mentors. Then like I, how I did, I didn't have like, I didn't know anybody. Like when I, uh, I just know like a few people like from the blogging community again, but like, I didn't know how to pitch. I didn't know what my rates were supposed to be. Well, how much I was yeah. worth. I was very green. So like being transparent about that stuff. So another black person won't be exploited, you know, right? Like when you learn, when you suffer or you go through issues, you're not supposed to go for it, right? Well, I had to suffer, so they should too. They they should pull themselves yeah, above. I hate that mentality. I hate oh, that. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. I would never be that person. Like it's like because I had to suffer. Well, you got to learn it the hard way too. It's like no, you have the ability, the power to let them skip that step. What what is that going to take away from you? Like that that's the it's the insecurity for me. I'm like you're yeah. insecure about yourself, yeah. and you're projecting it onto the next person that you think is gonna like go over you, even if they do like pass you. So what? Like if you did, if you help them, like that speaks to you, right? It's like I get something from that, from like helping my fellow person, because like you know what what's for me is for me, 
and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. again, like all of us, all of us get those feelings about, you know, like, oh, like I wish I had, like a lot of us, especially again with social media, we have that envy, like, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. But my mom always told me like, you can't, you can't just take that good part of what their life. You have to take all of it and you don't know what all of that is. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you can't envy someone else's life. Uh, what's for you is for you. So yeah, I would do that. I would like teach you like a class, like a, how to be an entertainment journalist and like all the nuts and bolts and like how to navigate it. Especially like it's so many different things I can teach now because of how the industry has changed in the pandemic era, era, like the COVID era, because before we were doing junkets and press junkets in person. And now it's kind of a virtual thing or a hybrid. Uh, People are still going in person now, but especially when the uh, COVID first happened and went to like a Zoom, like our own Zoom, we did junkets on Zoom. Um, So yeah, it, it definitely changed. Um, yeah, it was like there's a lot of things that change, a lot of elements about it that change. Turned the world upside down, man, for real. It did. Um, so what would you say to that little girl back at home on the south side of Chicago growing up, uh, making movies with her Barbie dolls and things like that? If you can have a quick 30-second, one-minute conversation with her to encourage her, inspire her, what have you, what would you say to her? Wow. Yeah, I would tell her that um, her imagination is so worthy, right? Like, it's like the weird shit that she, well, she thought she was weird because she had these these thoughts and these imagine, you know, these things, like, because she felt so lonely and, you know, um, she used imagination to be her friend, basically, that it will pay off. Right. And all these dreams that she had, even dreams that she never dreamed before would happen for her. And because I I think about her a lot when I navigate this world and I have these goals and stuff, I'm like, man, little girl Tanja would be like, oh, my God, you did this or you met this person that you were a fan of or you got to write about this thing. And so it's like so cool. Um, So I would tell her that um, to, to keep being to keep being creative and uh, let your imagination um, be limitless because it's going to help <laughs> for sure. And, you know, I think it'll also motivate her. If you was to tell her, you're going to interview Oprah in her house. <laughs> Denzel, Denzel is going to compliment Denzel's your smile. Gonna, right, gonna tell me my smile, right. You know, uh, like when I saw that clip, I'm like, oh yeah, she went it. She went it. You know how many women in this world would pay to be in your spot? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like I was just like any other uh heterosexual girl. Like I love me some damn and Denzel. Like he was it. Like fine. Like yeah. so again, that's another thing my mama. Because of course my mama also loved Denzel. She's like Denzel, Denzel. It's like literally that. And like a lot of people, yeah, when that happened, they were like, "How the fuck you hold your composure?" I'm like, "Listen, y'all, I was dying inside. Like I learned how to have a poker poker face. Like in yeah, this, in this Like by that time, I had interviewed so many people." But inside, I was like, oh, my God, this is really happening. Oh, my God, this is really happening. Be like, you and know, my funeral, and my funeral, play this on, play, play this on a loop. Okay, you know, play like, on over, and over and over, you know. Um, you know, that's all people know, that's, need. That's my eulogy right there. That's, that's Right? Um, exactly, because, yeah. like, as a little girl, I'm, like, always in my head anyway, because, again, I have this, like, huge imagination, and I'm always, like, again, entertaining myself, because, but that's how I am, period. Like, I, I'm, I'm, like, all, like, my major thoughts are always, like, in my head. Yeah. So, and I might not even show it, like, like, here. <laughs> so, like, that's funny. Um, <laughs> so, what, what's, 
what's your tell me your favorite movie your favorite television show and uh yeah that's all i got right now tell me your favorite movie and your favorite okay. Yeah, so I mentioned E.T. Uh, that's probably one of them, but like I have to also say The Lion King, the original one. Obviously. Of course. The, of course. Lion, the Lion King. Like I tell people that I could do a one woman show of that movie. Like I wore that VHS out. I mean, like when you, you know, when you wear a VHS out and it don't work no more because the damn tape. Yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Like, yeah. Lion, <laughs> that's what uh, I did to The Lion King. Uh, and so like that is my movie oh my god i love it um and i got to see i got to see the broadway version too and i cried mm -hmm. i sobbed oh. um i actually i did i actually saw it in chicago at um the uh the cadillac theater okay um yeah okay. so when it toured yeah so i got to see that like uh as an adult which is cool because i'm like i always wanted to see that play um and i got to see it as an adult with my mom and my niece and that was beautiful okay favorite tv show um this changes like all the time, but I'm, I'm gonna go with my first gut. Uh, a different world is hmm. my favorite TV show of all time. I love it. And I watch it like over and over. It's like one of my comfort shows mm -hmm. that I watch over and over. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's always, it's, it's always going to be like a comedy show. That's my roots. It's like, that's what my grandma had me watching. Like all the like Norman Lear show, like the Jefferson's good times, uh, yeah. all those, like, all in the family, Three's Company, like all this shit. Like she had me watching all that shit. So that's where my comedy roots come from. Is that mm -hmm. the master class? Carol Burnett, like all that. Like, yeah, yeah, all that. All of that. Yeah. Yeah, my grandma, it was interesting. My grandma had me watching the opposite. So I was watching Gunsmoke. You know, Walker, Texas Rangers. You know. She was watching that too. That's funny. It's like uh that's when I would like tune out. Like so she when she was watching that shit, I was like, oh my God. Man. But like when it was a comedy, that's when I would pay attention. Uh -huh. But like the gun smokes, Matlocks, Marcus. Uh, uh, Matlock, yes. Oh, oh my god, yeah, man. Fucking like, Andy Griffith show, like oh, man, <laughs> that's all her TV stayed on. I'm like, God dang, like can we watch something? <laughs> but it was nothing else to watch, you know. It was literally nothing else. It to was watch. only like five channels. <laughs> only five times I couldn't plug my PlayStation up because she swore up and down that it messed her TV up. I'm like, it don't mess nothing up. What you talking about? My like, grandma and my and my grandma was so old school. Like, um, obviously cable existed when I was a kid, but she still didn't get cable, so I couldn't even watch like the Nickelodeons and shit unless I was like, you know, at a friend's house or something. But she oh, had yeah. just basic ass antenna yeah. television. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was none of that. Right. Can't even see Rugrats unless Listen. I like notice somebody else else. Five, seven, nine, Chat, right? WGN, right? WGN, Channel 26, Channel 50. That was it. Get out of here. Yeah, her birthday was September 27th. Yep. Oh my God. We is we mm -hmm. Kendrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was that's, that was, that gave me goosebumps. I'm like, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. That was her birthday. I um I peeped it when you said I'm like, wait, September 27th. Yeah, that's her birthday. <sighs> yep. Amazing. Libra game. Yeah, may she rest in peace. Wow. Yeah, may she rest in peace, man. So yeah, Tanja, tell us where we can find you on social media, you know, yeah. all your projects, all of that good stuff. Tell the listeners and viewers where they can find you at and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can find me like on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those things at Tanja Stidham. So it's my first name, T-O-N-J-A, Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-U-M. Um, or you can find my work at my website is com. That's my full name. Um, so yeah, like hit me up, follow me.
Yeah. Um. And how many times do people mispronounce your name? Oh God. Oh God. I've gotten. I. I. You. Um, I obviously get Tanya a lot. Mm-hmm. That's why I had. Um. My. Um. I had named name. my. Good. Yeah, it breaks the day. Your name is loud. You, I saw that in your yeah, it's, like, it's so loud. It's yeah. so loud. It's not silent. Yeah. Um, and like some of it is like cultural, right? Where the J is like pronounced like silently. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I give some grace to that. But I'm like, the J is right there. The J is right there. So like I had named, I had put my Twitter name as Embrace the J for a long time because it was like a running joke. I was like, use the J, embrace the J. Right. And so that was my thing until I decided to have my at name be, you know, consistent with my actual name. And so yeah, Tanya, I've got Tanya, I've got Sonia, I've got Tonya. Like it's like why is Sonia? That's another that's a whole other name. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not even an S in there. Like people just it's lazy. Not. Like, I'm like my name, especially in emails, I'm like, my name is in the two section, it's in the signature. I put it there at the end. I'm like, how do you not see this? I can understand Tanya because a lot of people spell yeah. Tanya that way. But right, Tanya, exactly. On, exactly. Like, Sonia. On. You're, you're wild. It's a mess. Oh, it's a yeah. And my last name, obviously, yeah, it's hard to pronounce. <laughs> like you pronounced it correctly, um, but like a lot I of take names like, serious. I take, yeah, I take names yeah. serious. Like your name is your name, so like I take yes. I take yeah. it serious. You know That's how to pronounce names correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, and I pay attention. You know, when people say things, like even if they're not talking to me or addressing me on social media, I pay attention to that. You know, so yeah. I take things like that serious. Um, you know, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm yeah. the same way. Because um, I'm like, you have to, I grew up like people mispronounce my name. So I'm like, I know the feeling. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. okay, I want to get your name right. Yeah. Um. Well, what do you miss most about Chicago food? Because um, I know LA food. Shut is- <laughs> I mean, you know. Oh, we really get to the nitty gritty now. Yeah. The pizza, the pizza. Like, and like, as I tell people, it's not the deep dish pizza. I'm talking about the square slices, like right. fucking Italian fiesta, fucking beggars, like all yes. those, like square slices. Like that's what I miss because LA don't get it. Like LA does not got it. And then like for the longest time it was a uh, Harold's, but Harold's came out here. Like so people from Chicago a brought a Harold. Yes, it's it's literally a block away from me too. I'm like, look at God. I did not and know it that. It's good because Chicago and, people and them LA folks, oh, them LA folks messing with it. Sure, sure do. That shit is crowded all the time. Because actually wow. when it first um. Uh, got built. It was on Hollywood Boulevard, which is like very like crazy, you know, busy, right, for tourists. So like, uh, it's too high because it's you know it's on the tourist spot. But anyway, um, it was so crowded, and one of the problems when it first opened, it was like it would take like a long, long time to get your order and shit until they get into their groove. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after that, I was like, oh, I go there. I'm shit. I might get some tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wow. just to commemorate not... our interview. I'm right, 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 right. I did not know. It was I knew it was one in Vegas. Um, yes. But I did not yeah, know I think LA. Wow. Atlanta, I think it was one there too. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard that one was yeah. kind of like I it's not, it. yeah. I heard it's not. I haven't tried it, but like I heard it's not it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah this like, one, uh, they did that. I was okay. like, okay. Okay, wow. And my here and my heroes is eighty seventh, if you want to know. <laughs> Good to, well, you know it's not that no more. Like I the know, little one I is, know. The little one I is know. by that shell gas station, but the big one is right. Not I know. Yeah. I know. That was heartbreaking to see when right. I did go back home. Yeah, yeah. So they uh they got it about to pay. They was trying to like yeah. up his rent or something. They was just trying to squeeze him, you know. So I don't really. Play oh, okay. You know, okay. They, they was trying gotcha. to raise his rent and talk about so well, we need to get a percentage of your profits. Like we are not partners. No, I'm not getting. No, it. yeah. I'm um, and if you're wondering, after this episode, she really did go to Harold's after we finished recording. You can take the woman out of Chicago, but you can't take the Chicago out of the woman. Make sure you follow Tanjo on Instagram and Twitter. Her handles are in the description of this episode to follow up with her journey and what she got cooking up next. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on right now, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc., leave a five-star review and a comment. Let us know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe to our sister podcast, Mogul Motivation, from True Stories Media.